HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cooking Issues is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, an employee-owned company that has been offering organic stone ground products for decades. Their flours and whole grains are the highest quality and are minimally processed at their stone mill in Oregon. Visit bobsredmill.com to shop their huge range of products. Use Cooking Issues 25 for 25% off your order. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from pretty freaking late this time, actually, Anastasia, right? Uh, you know, like, you know, uh, around the noontime hour until, you know, like just before one o'clock from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Joined as usual with Nastasia, the Hammer Lopez, who, by the way, was here last week, just hiding out in no, the booth. No, I got here like two minutes before you ended. Sure, sure. Liar. Right, Liar. David? Right, David? Yeah, you were here. And joined, as usual, by Dave in the booth. How you doing, Dave? Good, how about you? Hey, uh, doing well. You know who I saw who? over the week? I saw Jackie Molecules? I saw Jackie Molecules. I think I saw that on the interwebs. Oh, yeah? Yeah. They have such a place on the interwebs where you can trace the, the whereabouts the of The movements Jackie of people, he yes. tagged us. He posted us. Oh, you. Yeah. Mm, nice. Anyway, good to see him. He's uh, having fun in D.C. I think he misses New York, though. Yeah, who wouldn't? <laughs> uh, shout out to our friends in D.C. Although, yeah, great it, place. It's just a, whoa, wow, <laughs> wow, love it. It's just as nasty here as it is in D.C. right now from a, from a weather weather wise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, this is a good segue. How, how you doing, Stas? Fine. I am completely bent over like stuff that I've learned over the past week. Uh, John DeBerry, by the way. Uh, call in your questions too, 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. Uh, speaking of uh, the meat vending machines last week, this is not what I'm bent about. Uh, he says he's planning on opening some, maybe one in New York, so we can go vend our own meat. Would you get meat out of a vending yeah. machine? Yeah. Because you hate people anyway, mm-hmm. right? So it's like all yeah, the cut g- them out of the equation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's all the good parts about people, right? Somebody that she knows cares that she doesn't have to interact with. Mm-hmm. That's like the best of all worlds for Nastasia. For me, like I'm like uh, you like interacting with people. No, I, it's like I, I'm I'm both people at once, right? Sometimes I'm like yeah 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 yeah. I just need this because uh, you know anyone that knows me knows, like I am at my rudest, not rudest, but like most angry when I'm standing behind someone walking slowly. It just it just bugs me so much. It's like, you know. Remember the yep. woman in uh, England? Which woman? Who gave us a ride and I was so angry. There's that photo of me, so angry. No. You just kept talking to her and talking to her about apples. Uh, well, we were on a trip to taste apples, you moron. Uh, why are you talking wow. about this thing that you came all, you know, no. you, you flew across an ocean 
to another continent halfway around the world so that you could taste apples and you have the balls, you have the temerity, you have the chutzpah to talk to this lady about apples. Jerk, what a moron thing to say. I mean, seriously. First of all, I warned you I'm bent, so like, I'm on fire. You like, yeah. you're, you're, Wait, okay, you're bent, John DeBerry. All right, right. So, uh, I don't know, I was going to say, like, sometimes I like to interact with people, and then I like to have a normal interaction with people, discuss things with them, because I'm normally at that point discussing things that are important to me, like apples, or like cheese, or things like this. But, uh, you know, other times I'm like, yeah, 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 give me my apples, give me my cheese, I already know what I want, I gotta get out, ah! You know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, you kind of want them both, you yeah. know? Oh, look who's back. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're talking about uh, Nastasia's favorite pastime. The only, like, there's two reasons she does this show. One, she cannot turn down free lunches. That's true. She can't turn them down. The other reason is so that she can gawk at people through the studio window uh, at, the, uh, at the crew here at Roberta's. That's the other reason that she does it. Anyway, uh, so John DeBerry, this morning... Uh, text, John DeBerry, by the way, is, uh, you know, uh, writing a book now about, uh, uh, cocktails, was or is, I don't know, the, the beverage director, Momofuku, I don't know his current title, I don't know, uh, known him for many, many, many years, uh, you know, he was at PDT, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, uh, a bar, a bartending man about town, let's just say. Uh, so he sends me a tweet this morning, uh, sending me a link to a Washington Post article where everyone is going freaking ape over uh, Dragon's Breath. So Dragon's Breath, not Dragon's Beard, the pulled, hand-pulled cotton candy. How do you candy say that it the right way? Uh, only Nick Wong, who is of Chinese extraction, can use uh, stereotypical voices in a way not that true. is socially acceptable. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, Nastasia, like... <laughs> Never fails to uh, try to get me to be inappropriate, but never fails to try. Always fails to succeed. Anyway, always. Uh, I don't oh, believe yeah. that. Oh, that kind of no, that kind of thing. hundred percent. She's always fails. Like no way. she can no get way. me to cross lots of other lines. There are lots of other lines that I'll cross. Anyway, um, you are a habitual line crosser. Uh, I believe you were thinking of Peter Kim, our favorite punching bag, and now father. Uh, so you can't. Uh-huh. Anyway. Uh, so anyways, so John DeBerry sends me this thing. People getting uh, all like up in arms about Dragon's Breath, which is where you take something low in, uh, low in moisture. Like the, the classic thing is marshmallows. You put them in liquid nitrogen, and then you freeze them down to liquid nitrogen temperatures. You put them in your mouth while they're still extremely cold, and when you exhale, you get all this condensation cloud, so it looks like you're kind of blowing smoke, right? And, uh, Nastasia, you've done it a million times. We've done it a million times, like, at Harvard or at demonstrations. I've done it with children. I've done it with adults. You know what I'm talking about, right, Stas? Yeah. Yeah, marshmallows, liquid nitrogen. So these people aren't using marshmallows. They're using what amounts to uh, crunch berries. You know crunch berries, Nastasia? Like, do you know that, did you know that the Captain Crunch Corporation, because everyone likes crunch berries so much, it's not Captain Crunch Corporation, the brand, which is what, General Mills? Who owns Captain Crunch? Uh, they have a box now called Oops All Berries. Where it's oh, just, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know who loves that is Booker, obviously. <laughs> oops. 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 We didn't know what we was doing, but we put millions of dollars behind it. Oops <laughs> yeah, All yeah, Berries. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, so they take uh, Oops All Berries, looks like to me. Air, airtight marketing campaign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oops. Uh, you know, <laughs> no one wants our oopses, right, Nastasia? No, we're like, our we're, products are our oopses. Oops. <laughs> trailing Edge Technology, Booker and Dax, welcome. Uh, so the... 
They take it, they freeze it in liquid nitrogen, and they serve it to youngsters at state fairs. The youngsters put it in their mouth, and then they blow out smoke. Now, a couple of problems with uh, crunch berries as opposed to marshmallows is, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever eaten Captain Crunch? Yeah. It shreds the inside of your mouth. Yeah. It's, it's like eating tiny microplanes. Mm-hmm. Like, so first of all, when it's that cold, you're probably reducing the sensation of it excoriating your mouth. So I wouldn't choose crunch berries or similar cereal as a thing. But what you do need to choose is something that's low in moisture because uh, as anybody that has heard me yell about this before, um, things that are extremely dry and contain a lot of air simply don't have enough energy stored in them to damage your, to damage your tongue, right? So if I took an ice cube or any sort of water-based substance, froze it down to liquid nitrogen temperatures and put it in my mouth, that is like... Game over, man. Like totally toast, right? I would rip my tongue apart. But a marshmallow, which is air and has very, very little water, has an extremely uh, low, A, low thermal mass and low specific heat, meaning it can't really do too much to my tongue one way or the other. So that, it's a fun party trick to take the marshmallow, stick it in your mouth, blow out the smoke. Yeah, ha, ha, everyone loves it, right? And it's the same reason why you can hold one of those marshmallows in, in your hand. Now, it's true that uh, like this kind of technique was brought by the kind of Spanish wave of uh, the Spanish armada of chefs that you know became so popular here, uh, well worldwide really, but you know well known in the states in the early 2000s. Um, and back in those days, I was served something with too much water that had been put in liquid nitrogen by a Spanish chef, and it blew out my tongue for the whole evening. I was real pissed. I couldn't taste anything, uh, but no no permanent damage. So anyway, so. <sighs> Nothing in particular has happened, but yet everyone is is completely up in arms about this because they say it's dangerous. I'll give you a couple of headlines, and John Barry brought this to my attention uh, this morning. I'll give you a couple of, of headlines. By uh, uh, this is by the New York Post. Oh, I hope they came up with a good one. Uh, which you know, public enemy, a public enemy, the rap group famously said in uh, 1991, founded in 1801 by Alexander Hamilton. That's 180 years of continuous effed up news. Uh, 190 years of continuous effed up news. Uh, America's oldest continuously published daily piece of BS. That was what they said. That's not my... By the way, to use our president's terminology... uh, That is not my opinion. That is the opinion of public enemy. Tell people why you'd want to write the headlines for the Post. Oh, because they have the best. You met one of their... You met Mm -hmm. one of their... Like like when we... like Right after 9-11, when we... um, uh, first started uh, taking on the Taliban, Kabul's eye. I mean, like, that's a freaking great headline. Look, I might take something Wait, away. What was it? Kabul's eye. Like, ca- uh, like Kabul. A strong pun. Like, have another one. But tell, explain uh, how, how you think the guy who writes. So it. here's my a theory about the New York Post, uh, or you know, the New York Post. What happens is, is they have some person who. They only call on this person when something happens and they need a headline. So at like 2 a.m. You know, two or three a.m. Something happens. Oh my God! We just we just bombed you know Kabul with you know the Taliban. The bring bring ah, what? And then they give him the, the here's what happened. He's like ah, Kabul's eye hangs up, and that's it. You know what I mean? Like this is the guy who you can raise out of any like rouse out of any deep sleep. Give him a give him what happened. And this person, such a good punster, such a good punster that there's a <laughs> Kabul's eye. And I got you the book of New York Post headlines, yes, yes, and they yes. are amazingly good. Yes. I can't remember all you of them. You like, like the the Pope one? Oh, to poop to Pope when uh, yeah when when uh, Cardinal Ratzinger you know now is he still Pope or did he go back to being Ratzinger? I have no idea. Anyway, when he gave up being Pope, the, <laughs> their headline to poop to Pope. 
They're like, the Pope's resigning. They call him up. Ring. Right back to sleep because this person doesn't need a second shot. They come right out with the pun. Anyway, uh, so I love the post for that, if not for their uh, editorial content. So here's what they say, uh, you know, the, the Pope. Uh, sorry, the uh, post. <laughs> Dragon's Breath liquid nitrogen cereal is the latest deadly trend. Oh, wow. By Natalie O'Neill. Uh, this was, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, or a couple, last week in July. And uh, July 31st. Now, Nastasia, correct me if I'm wrong. But for a trend to be deadly, what's the one thing that needs to happen? People die? Yes! Yes! In order for something to be deadly, somebody needs to die. And guess what has not happened? No death. No death. But here's, what, here's what's not such a good uh, headline. Dragon's breath liquid nitrogen cereal may be somewhat dangerous. Right? I mean, that's what they don't do. So the latest deadly trend. Uh, and, then, and then the first line, don't get burned by a trendy liquid nitrogen dip cereal dubbed Dragon's Breath. Get this. That can melt your mouth and internal organs. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So ridiculous. Wow. Um, I'll go to the Washington Post, which has a longer, still very heated, but not quite as bad. Uh, I'll read from the, from the Washington Post, owned by Nastasia's good friend, Jeff Bezos. Uh, (laughs) Teens They're so great at finding innovative ways To cause bodily harm First they were eating Tide Pods Then they were jumping out of moving vehicles To dance to the new Drake song By the way, uh, Nastasia has a SpaceX hat on (laughs) Or giving themselves frostbite By spraying an entire can of deodorant on their skin And now they're eating Dragon's Breath A snack made with liquid nitrogen That can burn your mouth Or cause respiratory distress If ingested incorrectly it should not surprise you to learn that teens are ingesting it incorrectly. First of all, the, like the reporting here is just straight false and dumb. Here's what it says. I go dot, dot, dot. Later on in the article, and you can look it up on the Washington Post. This was, I guess, the 7th, which is that today? Uh, no, yes. Yeah, okay. That's because when a person's skin or tissue comes into contact with liquid nitrogen, according to the South Florida Sun Sentinel. By the way, the South Florida Sun Sentinel, well known for their scientific reporting. Did you know that, Dave? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, if, you, if you have a question on science or safety, you're going to want to go to the South Florida Sun Sentinel for the answer. Uh, I like how they, they actually quote the South Florida Sun Sentinel on this fact. Liquid nitrogen can cause serious burns to skin, cause deadly asphyxiation if inhaled. By the way, if in... Okay. Uh, and it's liquid. It's, what do they mean by inhaled? I think what they mean is if you, if you put yourself in a pure nit- nitrogen environment, you will die. Right? Anyway, uh, if it failed and can damage sight if it splashes or gets rubbed into the eyes. I now have an image of Nastasia holding me down and rubbing liquid <laughs> nitrogen into my eyes somehow. She has some sort of That's glove. Disturbing to me. And she somehow can take a liquid which inherently doesn't want to stick to me, and somehow she is able to rub it into my eyes as though it's some sort of grease smear. Uh, <laughs> rub it into your eyes. Shops that sell it post warnings, but they're not always heated. All right. So, uh, Then it goes on to say that in October, a 14-year-old girl was sent to the hospital after touching the liquid nitrogen in the snack at the Pensacola Interstate Fair. The ER doctor had to cut the thumb open, cut away the dead skin, and get the infection out, the girl's grandmother told a local ABC affiliate. They had said had we not come in and got her finger treated, she could possibly have lost her thumb. Now, here's what happened. This is the Washington Post quoting the Sun Sentinel... (laughs) 
quoting ABC news coverage of a local ABC affiliate quoting the grandmother quoting the ER physician about this girl's touching the liquid nitrogen, right? Now, so, like, that is the level, and this, this, this quote cycle has happened multiple times. So here's what happens, people. Liquid nitrogen is used on purpose by dermatologists on the daily to freeze warts and such not on your skin. And now, inside your cervix. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, FYI. FYI. Uh, now... If someone improperly did this and left liquid nitrogen in the cup and this little girl grabbed a hold of the cup, by the way, I've seen pictures of the cup. The cups are plastic, so they're not inherently dangerous in the way metal is because plastic also has a low, you know, low specific heat, low thermal uh, mass. So you probably would feel that it is cold in time to drop the cup. Uh, this is coming from someone myself who, who on the regular puts my hand into liquid nitrogen. Gets it splashed on me on a daily basis, okay? Uh, if you pick up, briefly touch a plastic cup, your hands will register this. Oh, cold. Release. Now, if this little girl has the, 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 like, the awesomeness to be like, I'm not letting go of my freaking uh, dragon's breath candy, it's possible that she could get... Uh, frostbite on her finger. I have gotten like frostbite on my hands from ex- like, extended contact. With- metal containers much more dangerous. Very easy to get uh, a lot of frostbite with uh, metal containers and liquid nitrogen. And that's happened to me too. The worst I've ever had, and this is someone who deals with it on a daily basis, daily, daily basis, uh, was uh, I lost feeling in my thumb for about, I don't know, three, four days. Anyway, so... Uh, so let's say that she does have some sort of like localized bad contact burn from the liquid nitrogen, which I, I feel bad about. That shouldn't have happened. That was an incorrect operator, right? Uh, so the grandmother is saying that – this is why it's so inaccurate. The grandmother says that the kid has an infection. There's no such bacteria on earth that says, hey, yo, a uh, little girl's got uh, like some frostbite on her finger. Let's have an infection happen in the time it takes grandma to get her to the ER, Right? So, like, there's clearly, and I'm not trying to say anything, like, clearly the grandma was uh, freaked out, the kid had a problem, kid went to the ER. Not disputing any of this, but the language built around it that somehow she had an infection due to this and that her thumb was going to get lost. Who knows what the doctor said to the grandma, what the grandma said to the ABC local affiliate, who was then quoted by the Sun Sentinel, which then goes into the magisterial Washington Post, right? Bezos. And then, Bezos, uh, then... They quote another thing in late. It's always Florida, Anastasia. I know. In late July, a Florida mother. Man. Yeah. It, what do you say? Florida man. Yeah. In you know it's going to be a good story when it starts off with Florida man. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. In late July, a mother in St. Augustine, Florida, took her son to the ER. Af- now listen to the way that this is written. Took her son to the ER after the dragon's breath. Here it is. Triggered. A, this triggered me when I read it. By the way. Uh, triggered a massive asthma attack. Here's this. Inside Edition is who they're quoting here. Spoke with a young man who inadvertently burned the inside of his mouth until it bled. All right. So we're what, we're now down to Inside Edition. So I, I went and... Yeah, because the Captain Crunch. You eat too much Captain Crunch without milk, which is why I tell Booker you should put some milk on that freaking thing to soften it up. Otherwise, you're, you know, you're taking sandpaper to the inside of your freaking mouth. By the way... I've eaten kiwis until my mouth bled, right? And no one's like, oh my God, kiwis! 
don't do it. Or like, you know, uh, the warhead challenge where oh, people yeah. are eating warheads yeah. until their mouth bleeds because they're consuming so much acid. No one's like, ban war Well, I guess people are like, ban warheads. But anyway, uh, warheads, good candy in moderation. So I went on to read uh, both the Sun Sentinel's coverage of the local ABC affiliate, which I've already gone, gone into. And by the way, I don't even think she spoke to the ABC thing. The grandmother told Facebook the story. So we're looking at a, a Facebook through, like, like ABC got to the story Which through Facebook. Which brings it to the Russians. Uh, the, yeah, it's a Russian, <laughs> Russian, fake news Russians. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh my God. Uh, here's the one with the, with, oh no, this is the asthma one. Okay. So uh, we're in St. Augustine. Mother goes on Facebook. Tell us how her son, Johnny, tried the treat at a kiosk inside the Avenues Mall in Jacksonville, Florida. He has mild asthma, she said, but on the 40-minute drive home, he started coughing uncontrollably and had trouble breathing. So here's a little bit of a, I'm sure you guys have heard of this, post hoc ergo propter hoc, right? Uh, after this, therefore, because of this. Lady shows up at the Avenues Mall with her son Gianni. She says, Johnny's like, Ma, I want the dragon's breath, Ma, Ma. She gives him this thing. Johnny has mild asthma. Now, keep in mind, it's the summertime and Johnny's in St. Augustine, Florida. You think maybe that's causing the asthma? That's anyway. a 40-minute drive. He's on a 40-minute drive home in who knows what kind of air-conditioned car after having been to the Mall of America. But what happens is the kid has an asthma attack, right? Uh, and he goes to the nearest fire station and, I mean, I don't know, my hospital, I don't know, fire station, paramedics stabilized the boy for the trip to the hospital. He's treated and he's doing fine, right? So the mother's like, you know what must have caused that asthma attack, Nastasia? Dragon's breath. Dragon's breath, obviously, because it's the only new thing I saw today. That or his vaccines. Yeah, or, <laughs> oh, what's up, conspiracy theorists? Love it. So my point is, is that, look, I was, when I was a kid, I was that Johnny, right? I had asthma, would go into uncontrollable asthma attacks. That might be the title of the episode today, I was that Johnny. I was that Johnny, right? But I didn't have the benefit, when I was a child, of seeing anything new, because I grew up in the 70s, when there was nothing new but bell-bottoms. Bell-bottoms triggered my asthma attack! You know what I mean? And, and quite, quite a number of times. This was in the days before inhalers. I would have to go to the hospital and get jacked up on epinephrine. You think I'm going crazy now. You should have seen me when I was jacked up on epinephrine as a freaking nine-year-old in like 1979 or 1980, right? Right? That, that is a kid that's all jacked up and bent out of shape, right? Uh, so a little bit of post hoc ergo propter hoc makes it into the Washington Post as dragon's breath causes asthma. <coughs> so as we can see, uh, are there dangers to liquid nitrogen? Yes. Uh, is anything that was written in this article true? No. And it just goes to show that, I mean, look, th that one girl's finger was burned, I'm sure, right? That's possible and probable. But like the, like the, like imputing all of these dangers to the snack, wrong. Some guy on whatever it was, like Insta Jerk YouTube or whatever it was, like his mouth bleeds after he eats like 18 boatloads of, uh, oops, all berries that have been frozen to like, Liquid it's nitrogen on temperature. The berries. Plausible. It's on the berries, <laughs> right? John DeBerry's on the berries. And then, uh, you know, uh, kid has asthma attack. I, I understand how scary it is to have an asthma attack as someone who was hospitalized multiple times with asthma as a child. It's super scary. But to blame it on the liquid nitrogen, just nothing to back that up. So we have just a whole bunch of garbage just being piled upon. But you know who's going to pay for it? Anyone out there 
cooking with or using liquid nitrogen or frankly anyone doing anything new or, or innovative or interesting at all because when the S hits the F, right, it's the people doing the new stuff they get hosed the hardest. Like, you want to take a commercial break and come back with more yep. of me being angry you, about stuff? You read my mind. That was Alrighty, great. Alrighty, I'm back with more anger on cooking issues. <laughs> it's time for our Bob's Red Mill moment, where we put Nastasia's cooking improvisational skills to the test. This week's secret ingredient is organic oats. Now, which one are we going to do here? Because we get, Bob's Red Mill has various different oats. They have your standard flaked oats. They have your steel-cut oats, right? Steel-cut. So Let's do steel-cut. Steel-cut? Yeah. Do you like steel-cut oats? I've had them in my house. Okay. So as you all know, steel-cut oats are the ones that still look like oats. They haven't been flaked out. They take longer to cook. They got more texture than your regular flaked oats. All right, Nastasia, tell us what you'd make. Oatmeal for one. Wow, that's super interesting. You know, people... This is what I have to work with. So steel-cut oats are good if you want to maintain. I like traditional texture of steel-cut oats. It's not the kind of standard oat that you get. Um, but I think it's a very good um, it's a very good change-up to kind of the flaked oats. And steel-cut oats are also very good in recipes like Scrapple or in like a traditional uh, haggis kind of a situation where you want them to absorb moisture over a long period of time. Uh, I like them a lot. They's good. Thanks to Bob's Red Mill for supporting cooking issues. Visit bobsredmill.com to shop their huge range of products. Use the code COOKING25 for 25% off your order. That's cooking, no space, the number two, the number five. And we're back. Uh, by the way, what? Those are painful, huh? All right, well, hey. Oh, painful because Nastasi's <laughs> like, I would take the oats and I would make oatmeal with it. No, those are my favorite where it's blank for one. Yeah, yeah, oatmeal for one. Yeah, you know what? Whatever. Also, everybody out there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you have anything you need to do at night, you're like, she's like, you're crimping my plans. She's like, oatmeal for one. You're crimping my plans. I'm watching Bachelorette with the girls. Anyway. Uh, Wait, I want to say one thing. All right. I have nothing to do with the bar. Please don't ask me for reservations. I only drink for free. She does drink for free. That is true. Uh, by the way, Darren wrote in uh, a comment about Koji asking us about uh, Koji and stocks and clarification. I called in uh, our you know, uh, resident uh, Koji expert, our cook quest, Richie, and he is not, he's not been able to get his expert on this particular thing. So, uh, Darren, hopefully we'll get you your information soon. Should I do the anger or should I do the question? Question, question. then anger? Yeah, question first, then anger. Question, then anger? All right. Uh, see if I can get, I got to mellow out and then get wound back up later, right? That's good, right? Otherwise, it's like too much too blood much pressure. Anger, yeah. Too much anger. Too much anger. People don't want it. Yeah, People you're stressing me out. I'm stressing, I'm stressing you out when you live in Brooklyn, so that takes a lot. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, yep. So Davide writes in, uh, so this is a question about, by the way, about uh, pickles, right? So uh, for those of you that have not lived or like don't exist on the planet Earth, like uh, pickles are a means not only to make something delicious, but to take something that is you know, in season or right now and preserve it for later. So you can have your sweet pickles, you can have your lactic acid pickles, you can have your vinegar pickles, blah, blah, blah. And so this question is a question a user, uh, a listener asked us about chefsteps.com, their pickling recipes. Okay. 
How do I go low on sugar, acid, and temperature? Everyone wants to go low on all that, right? Because they want a pickle, but they want something that's as close to the original product as possible, right? This is, by the way, this is how a lot of traditional uh, things like uh, ham, right? How dry cured ham has gotten muted, uh, mutated into kind of city hands because as technology improves, people tend to want things with less of a cure, dried end or whatever. Anyway, I digress. Uh, how low can I go on sugar, acid, and temperature when home canning fruit while still having a safe product? I'm a big fan of Chef Step's sous vide uh, pickling recipes and techniques, uh, and I use it regularly for vegetables. Vegetables. However, my family doesn't love the taste of a vinegar-based sweet brine for fruit, and I've been looking for a lemon juice-based alternative. Straight up subbing lemon for vinegar would be safe, well, it's true because lemon juice, well, I don't know about the pH, but the, the actual like acidity levels are in the same range. I, I don't actually know the pH of vinegar, uh, 5% vinegar. But uh, it would be too acidic and overwhelmingly flavored. I won't second guess Douglas Baldwin's calculations on the parameters of the brine, which is a bricks of 38, meaning uh, out of every kilo of brine, 38 or 380 grams of that would be uh, sugar. Uh, the balanced water, and a pH of 3.2. By the way, Douglas Baldwin uh, is a professor of mathematics somewhere in Colorado, or at least was the last time I saw him. And um, he, um, he did a lot of the early uh, calculations where he kind of solved simplified versions of, of the differential equations involved for sous vide cooking. And his initial calculations are what a lot of the sous vide calculators uh, that you find on, you know, on the app store, on the internet, are based on. So he has a long history in, in doing the math and actually figuring out what's going on in food safety and in uh, sous vide cooking in general. And he, he partnered with Nathan Mirvold back in the modernist cuisine days and is working with uh, Chef Steps uh, at the time. So in other words, he knows what he's talking about when it comes to this. Uh, I won't second guess Douglas Baldwin's calculations on the parameters of the brine, but it seems to me it was meant to be safe in other words, Douglas Baldwin's recipe was uh, meant to be safe regardless of the relative proportions of fruit to brine and the size of the produce uh, that you use, which makes sense when publishing a recipe for the mass audience. But I assume it can be tweaked a bit. I'm not an expert, uh, but I know my way around a logarithm. So ba basically, uh, he's just shooting for... Um, He's giving a bunch of parameters, which I won't give you here because they're gonna, you know, bore you to bore you to tears probably, uh, and you probably forget them. Although, should I? Eh, no, eh. no. Oh, we got no, ten we minutes, so time. use your time wisely. Oh, you know what? You know what? Uh, so basically, he's re the point that uh, Davide is trying to make, right? Is that he's going to increase the uh, pH, right, to, to get it just into the levels where it's safe, right? So he's going to try to get a, a three point four pH brine by t and uh, a certain bricks level, I forget what he was shooting for, but he's going to get a certain bricks level by actually calculating how much fruit that he's going to add, right, and what the pH of the brine is going to be and trying to figure out the equilibrium between the fruit and the brine, right? So the argument here is, is that you overdo the brine because the fruit that you add to it is assumed to have uh, a pH, you know, a ha you know, basically be a pH of 7 neutral, which is not true. They're almost always acidic. Uh, and have no sugar, which is also almost not, not true, almost always not true. And if you're adding a whole bunch of brine, right, like imagine you added, you know, one gram of fruit to a kilo of brine. Obviously, that gram of fruit is not going to push the pH one way or the other. So he's arguing that by controlling these things better, you can make a safe product. Um, 
So rather than me second guessing Chef Steps, uh, I called Chris Young. We played a bunch of phone tag. He graciously got in touch with Charlie uh, Shaw, the food scientist at Chef Steps, and Douglas Baldwin, and they uh, got back to us with an answer. So I will read it to you. Uh, we put our heads together. That is uh, Charlie Shaw and Douglas Baldwin. We put our heads together, and here's what we were thinking. Uh, Davide is right. He can reduce the acidity and the bricks and still make a safe product. What he may be compromising on as he reduces, uh, uh, is, uh, is he reduces the shelf life, especially at room temperature. Uh, the shelf life should be fairly long in the fridge. Shelf life is awfully hard to predict and may depend on the fruit, veg, spices used, the workspace where he's working, etc., etc. The brine that Davide uh, proposed only brings the water activity down to 0.95%. That's not enough to help too much when it comes to shelf life. So if shelf life is important and you like a lower level of sweetness, uh, you should inc- so if you want a low sweetness, you should increase the amount of time you're cooking it because he only wants to cook it at 75 degrees Celsius. So here's another thing. When you're cooking something, there's, there's, this is the multiple hurdle effect. So you have one hurdle is temperature, right? So you're cooking something to a specific temperature to kill bacteria. Uh, some of that bacteria is harmful, and some of that bacteria just reduces the shelf life. You're also increasing the acidity because the acidity, lowering the pH, is a hurdle that bacteria have to jump over to start multiplying. You're also incre- decreasing the water activity by increasing the sugar. So that is uh, also inhibiting the bacteria, multiple levels of inhibition. So there's inhibition to make a product safe, and there's inhibition to stop spoilage, i.e. increase, uh, in- improve the shelf life. Uh, at the final equilibrium of 85 degrees, uh, they recommend 85 degrees Celsius for two minutes at the brine that they're proposing. This is getting in the weeds a little bit, but it's, it was. It, but he wants to do it at 75. The reason 85C is used for these vegetables, 85C is where the government publishes the curves of how things are, or, or at least where Chef Steps has their curves of how bacteria get killed. At 85C, cook for a long time, pectin will break down. If pectin breaks down, you could add calcium. I think he said he didn't want to. You could add calcium to strengthen the pectin so that at 85C, you're not getting any pectin softening. But if you don't want to add calcium because of flavor issues, right, and you don't want to cook at 85C because you're worried about softening it, you can drop it to 75C, especially if you add a little calcium, and not get uh, you know radical softening of the pectin in fruit and vegetables. However, uh, when you're... When you're killing things, right, first of all, you have to measure the core temperature, which you can't possibly know unless you have a, a rig that you've tested with beforehand, right? So you, you need to know how long you're cooking the core inside the inside of your jar, right? So let's say you have something that's 85 degrees C, a, a thermal uh, death curve. It's called a thermal death curve, and you're looking for a certain D level, i.e. a D level is um, – 1D means that I've killed 90% uh, of the bacteria that are involved. So then you do that again. Uh, you reduce by a factor of 10, factor of 10, factor of 10. So a lot Gotta of people get that D. Get that D <laughs> throw some D's on it. Just bought a kilic. Throw some D's on it. Anyway, so uh, you want about a 5D, which is like a five log, log reduction. Now, here's the other problem. When you shift that thermal curve, right, when you're no longer looking at 85, there's what's called a Z level. And the Z level is how fast that thermal curve shoots up or down one log level. So uh, so Douglas Baldwin and you know Shaw, they assume that most bacteria that you're looking at have a Z, a Z number of roughly between 5 and 10 degrees. So he wants to cook uh, something... 
uh, that's 10 degrees below the recommended temperature, the temperature they have a curve for. So let's say that the Z is 10. That means at 75 degrees C, it takes 10 times longer to get the same level of bacterial death. So if it was one minute at 85 or two minutes at 85, it's going to be 20 minutes, right? But uh, an equally valid curve might be five. So every five degrees lower, you are 10, uh, you know, a factor of 10 longer, in which case it would take 200 minutes, right? So in order to be safe at those levels at 75 degrees C with those lower numbers, you'd have to cook it for a much longer time on the order of a hundred times longer, right? And so if that's acceptable to you, that's fine. Just be aware that when you're looking at Z values, you can't keep going on down infinity. There's a certain point at which bacteria begin dying and only then are Z values, uh, only actually even further up into that curve, they become valid because you could continue lowering 10 degrees and all of a sudden you're in a bacterial growth zone. So Z values only work for like one or two Z levels, not for infinite Z levels. Maybe they work for one or two Z levels. It also depends on where in the curve you hit. Anyway, right. long answer short. Uh, so do I have any anger time left or no? Three minutes. You got time for a quick call, actually. Right. Oh, caller, you're on the air. Hi, uh, Dave. I was just wondering uh, if you could, real quick, since I know you have to go, um, talk about any Ethiopian cookbooks that you would recommend, and um, yeah. Oh, I don't have any Ethiopian cookbooks, um, and therefore I cannot recommend them, but now you have made me think, I cannot believe that I don't have any Ethiopian cookbooks. I have recipes with Ethiopian, I have books with Ethiopian recipes in them, but I have no um, 100% Ethiopian Cookbook. I'm sure they are out there now. It has been at least 10 years since I uh, last looked for them, uh, at least 10. And so, uh, I mean, it, it's been 20 years since I've lived in a neighborhood that had, you know, a huge density of Ethiopian restaurants such that I was eth eating Ethiopian food once or twice a week. Back then, in the late 90s, there were, to my knowledge, no uh, Ethiopian cookbooks around. There were, you know, Jessica Harris had books with Ethiopian recipes in it, but there were no Ethiopian cookbooks. It was only recently, like the past maybe 10 years, that they've, we've had like a recipe, you know, uh, books that are exclusively, let's say, Senegalese food. Uh, I'm sure they are there now, and I feel incredibly embarrassed that I don't have one at the at the tip of my tongue. I'll ask Peter, yeah, Peter who sp spent a, Peter Kim, who spent a lot of time in Ethiopia because his wife was posted there uh, at the UN. I'm sure he would know, and I'll get I'll definitely get that information up and either put it on Twitter or talk about it um, next week. I mean, I love Ethiopian food. I mean, Ethiopian food is so awesome. Um, did you have any that you have that you don't like? Uh, no, I just moved to a neighborhood with a lot of Ethiopian uh, cuisine, and uh, my rent went way up. And so I'm looking at making like more like lentil pulses kind of dishes. So good. I thought that that would be a good solution. Are you going to go about making your own injera? I have not, yeah. uh, but that's something that I heard is very challenging to do. Yeah, I mean, people say it's challenging. I've never tried it. I don't know. I mean, the the thing is that the the grain. The grain that makes uh, injera, one of the grains, that make, like, most people don't do it. It's teff. Let's say it's teff. Right. Right. So, um, by the way, you know, you know who sells teff, don't you? You know who sells teff? Hey, Dave, in the booth, you know who sells teff? Bob's Red Mill. You are correct. Uh, so you can get teff from Bob's Red Mill. Most people do not do 100% teff injera. So teff is sourdough. So it depends on how sour you want it. Um, 
what's it called? Oh my God, the name just went out of my head that Karen works for up in uh, Bornath, up in uh, Hot Bread Kitchen. Hot Bread Kitchen. They do a hundred percent injera teff that's real sour that you know I like, but most of the you know most of the uh, injera that I used to get in my old neighborhood was not like hyper sour. So you know, for those of you that never had Ethiopian cuisine, it's kind of like uh, imagine a cross between a large floppy crepe and kind of like a crumpet, right? Because it's got the bubbles on the one side. It's floppy, kind of like a, a crepe. So it's not like crispy like a dosa. And anyway, it's fantastic. But to me, like I would worry about that, get some teff and think about that. Um, I'm sure online there's a bunch of people who like have uh, injera stuff. Are you are you more interested in just the mains or do you – I mean to me, Ethiopian food without injera is like, is like Nastasia w- without hatred. You know what I mean? It just cool doesn't analogy. work. You like that? Uh, anyway, I'm being told that I have to get off the freaking air. I'll f- try to find some Ethiopian cookbooks, we'll and if not, Peter. I'll have some suggestions. What? We'll talk to Peter. And we'll talk to Peter, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll answer that uh, next week, and I'll get to my anger about Ziploc bags and reduced oxygen packaging and the New York City Department of Health. I'll reserve my anger for next week, so you can stay tuned for more anger if you tune in next week on Cooking Issues. <laughs> listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 